Do you have a clearly defined process to help you understand the health of your key clients? Well, if not, then this week's guest, Marnie Stockman, is going to be someone you want to hear from. Welcome to Insights as a Service. Let's get started. All right, uh, Marnie Stockman, CEO of Lifecycle Insights and author of the book, literally the book on customer success for MSPs, which I have read. So there, um, welcome uh, to the podcast. Well, thanks for having me. And thanks for reading right, the book. Yeah, you're, you're welcome. I remain bought it. So uh, we thanks, contributed Romain. to your, yeah, good stuff. <laughs> um, so you're you're joining us uh, from Delaware, right? And it's nighttime. So thank you for, for making the effort. It's appreciated. Yeah, thanks for having me. Maybe just um, part plug, part setting the scene. Um, tell us about Lifecycle Insights and, and what problem that solves for MSPs. Sure. Uh, so we are a QBR reporting platform for MSPs. We aim to uh, automate the parts that should be automated and then help deliver risk assessments and actual strategy at a business review, which is the key. Okay. And so in the book, you talk about that uh, QBR, um, the, the quarterly potentially being swapped out for quarterly quality, sorry. Um, right. So so what does a good quarterly business review look like in your view? Uh, yeah. So I would say three main things. One, it's going to talk about risk, right? So you really need to deliver strategy and have a conversation around risk for clients and the problems you solve. Two, total cost of ownership budget. So not just what you're selling to them, but all of the things that technology impacts in the business. And then lastly, your recommendations, which align to their business goals. So that's a key piece of it is really the whole conversation, frankly, should just be about their business goals. And oddly enough, in today's world, guess how much technology <laughs> impacts your business goals? Quite a fair bit. amount. Fair amount. Yeah, yeah. lots, in fact. Uh so, so what was the driver for, for writing uh, literally the book on, on customer success for MSPs? Yeah, well, first, who, who doesn't like a good pun? So who wouldn't want to write the book on customer success literally? Because when I'm at a hotel and I'm not getting the customer success that I need, I'll say, I wrote the book on customer success literally, and this is not what it looks like. So <laughs> that, that, love that. Let me tell you how to do your job. Okay, great. It's, yeah, <laughs> it's a big win. Let me tell you. Uh, no, that is, that is only a side benefit of the book. So really, um, I come from the world of ed tech where in the SaaS world, customer success is tracked very differently. It's tracked, it looks at, you know, how much are folks adopting a platform? Because you're not talking to your clients necessarily all the time in a world of software. So you're aiming to automate insights into what's a happy customer, what's a healthy customer. The other key to customer success is looking at how to be proactive, right? So what came to light in, in literally the book on customer success for MSPs was that the MSP market really didn't have a place where they were tracking these metrics. They have tons of metrics, goodness knows. There are logs and notifications about everything in the tech stack, but nothing in the human stack. And uh, Gartner published a study that said, uh, folks wanna work with their enterprise partners 85% through technology, right? They're perfectly content doing their online shopping, et cetera. But with their true enterprise partners, 15% of that should be the relationship around um, you know, how they are working with their clients or their you know, vendor partners. And MSPs really didn't have a good way to talk or think about that. And so we took some of the ideas from the, you know, the SaaS world and brought it into the MSP space. So we say customer success as a service, which is basically what MSPs are delivering but it kind of needs to be tracked in the same way that a subscription software as a service would be tracked. 
Okay, so well, let's let's dive into how we define customer success. Which which metrics are used to really, in your view, best used to to determine whether or not you're delivering on that? So right off the top, I say health. So is this client at risk of churn? And that's typically if you ask about customer success or a traditional customer success position, that's the first thing someone's going to talk about. So tracking health, tracking opportunity. So this is this is a double-sided one, both beneficial for you, right, as an MSP. One is opportunity into where you have potential upsell, but the other piece is, especially as it aligns to a managed service provider is the alignment or adoption of your stack. So, you know, the healthier a client is, the more they are aligned to your best practices and standards. It makes them more supportable, scalable, secure, et cetera. And then the other piece to track is really tracking toward their goals. So how are we helping move the needle on business, not just on the dollars you're spending on technology in the business? Um, something I really liked in the book and if i'm honest i've already looked to adopt it uh next quarter we're going to try and flesh that a bit is that whole uh customer health metric the, and if, if that's mm -hmm. the definition and i think it's a good one then we should probably talk about well how do you define that health and and really talk yeah. about the way that you can go through that so do you want to just walk us through a little bit um you know uh the kinds of um, health indicators the kind of red flags and and how you kind of put that together to to um i guess uh um, pull a meaningful metric out of it so this is where it will be very apparent that I was a math teacher because I'm all about, I'm going to say things like average and weighted average, and some folks are going to cringe, but your goal is to find what are the indicators that someone is happy with you. The, if you ask anyone in the space, the first they're going to thing they're going to say is I have a CSET tool and I'm going to say, great, that's one. Yeah. And that's only one metric, right? When is somebody entering a CSET score right after they put in a ticket? How are they feeling right before that ticket? Not in a good mood. So you got somebody coming at you with a ticket and they're either leaving satisfied, right? Please that you resolved the problem, but you did just solve a problem for them mm. or that's still lingering out there. So that's a very point in time metric. That's not a good sense of, you know, your whole relationship with that client. If I, you know, groused every time one thing was wrong with my car, right? You would think I was going to get rid of my car every month. And that's not how that happens. So you need to define other ways of what, um, shows health of a client. So other things we look at are sentiment. That is typically what MSPs think about, but never track it or write it down anywhere. And that's that gut check. How are you feeling about the relationship? Like, oh, I've got a great relationship with them. When I see them, they smile. I know their kids' names and, you know, what their soccer schedule is, et cetera. So that's one, how you're feeling about that. But there are other, you said red flags, which I think are really important to track. One that I think, um, typically uh, gets a lot of head nods in audiences when I present is when I talk about an organization score. And what I mean by that is how stable is the organization and how stable is the leadership of that business? You know, so if, if you know you're getting a new CEO at a small business, what are the odds that they already have an IT business provider that they like or one that they love because it's their nephew or their daughter mm. and they're going to do IT for them, right? So that's totally. a metric. If you've got some instability there, that would be something else to track. Other things we see folks do um, is track uh, sort of a, a sentiment toward technology. So how, how much do they believe in what you're selling, not just your services, but how much do they believe technology impacts business um, and what's their, their security posture? around technology. 
Now you can brainstorm this for days. I I enjoy hopping on calls with teams of salespeople and you know CSMs and say, well, what do you think it is in your industry? Um, you know, in, in your business, and and we brainstorm a list of them, and then we line them out to say which ones really hone in to the minimum number that are, that is really accurate. You don't want to track a thousand metrics if three will do, but you don't want to just pick a single metric if you really need three. Yeah, that was a really good point in the book as well. Um, something that's a byproduct of that um, that that reporting is that if you're AM, if that's what you've got, and I want to come back to the concept of a CSM because you know customer success manager, it's it's a really interesting title, and, and we need to flesh that out. But in my world at the moment, that would be an account management focus, right? And so if they can't yep. answer a lot of those questions, that in itself is sort of a um, a red know, flag. Yeah, <laughs> I mean it really is. Um, but yeah, there were some great ones in there. I mean, a um, uh, yeah, stack adoption is a big one. Uh, there is the um, management change, the um, the the trend, maybe more than the numbers on the the number of purchases, the numbers of tickets, the types of tickets. Like there was just a bunch yep. of really good ideas in there as to um, you know to get you thinking, and also g- through going through that uh, process, you can really get some idea ideas as to how good are your, uh, are your analytics? How much data are you actually collecting and how easy is it to, 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 to access that in real time? Or, or I guess ideally in your world with your QBR, automate it. Yeah, which is ideal. And it's interesting around the, the human elements, sometimes there aren't automated metrics. And that's what, I think that's why there hasn't already been a customer success module built other than ours in the space because People get, I can put an agent out on machines and, you know, go get diagnostics all day long, but, you know, the, the human AI metrics, (laughs) you know, nobody's tracking my facial expressions on a call to see if I'm happy or not when I leave the call. So that, that requires human engagement to determine what are some of these metrics for sure. Let's talk about the, the CSM function then, because uh, for me, it's a new title. And in the book, you say that it can be a specific role, but it can also be a, a role that's spread across a number of other functions within the business. So run us through what it looks like in a perfect world and how you've seen it done maybe in a less perfect way. Well, first, I think customer success is a part of everybody's responsibility, right? So because every, every um, bit of your success is based on your customer success, who isn't part of customer success. But that said, what we often see is that the owner owns, especially the smaller shops, the owner is also the customer success person, right? They are the one that has the relationship. So whoever has the tightest relationship owns customer success. Who's really, you know, heads on the chopping block if things go badly or who is in charge of recovery if if there's a fire drill. Uh, So what typically happens is as the company starts to scale, they'll get a salesperson or an account manager maybe, right? So a lot of those terms start to ebb and flow depending on on who you're talking to. But a salesperson, if they're also in charge of supporting the customer after onboarding, they may still be called a salesperson. But at that point, we re- I have always thought of them as customer success, right? The person in charge of the relationship long-term after onboarding is the customer success manager. But again, often the person that has a relationship is that owner. Mm. And the last thing that they want to give away is that relationship because there's a threat there, right? You're going to take your business, your baby, and you're going to hand it over to someone else. So that's why it often starts as a piece of the owner's responsibility. And then maybe they hand bits and pieces of that to an account manager 
to uh, you know a salesperson. And depending on the level of the account manager, there's often someone that does slightly lower level work than the, the owner's VCIO relationship where they're having all strategic conversations with the partners, you know, with their, um, with their clients. And that's where you start to see you need um, processes in place to guarantee that everybody's getting the same type of relationship and same type of um, engagement as they would when the owner had a relationship with them. So customer success is really focused on business goals, on the strategy with the client and the relationship with the client. But again, who owns that relationship differs from company to company. The larger companies that we see are starting to name customer success as a human or even an organization in their companies. Um, It's certainly one of the younger divisions in companies Mm. in general. So sales has been around ever since there was somebody with meat and someone else with, you know, grain and they wanted a meal and there was a trade. Customer success, not so much, right? That's a newer piece of the world, but everybody, all the metrics around it talk about, you know, there's the quote that 90% of retention is, or 90% of your revenue is based on your retention rate. And that's what customer success focuses on. So uh, there's now much more focus on how do we make our customers successful because that's how we will grow. Um, so that is becoming in the larger organizations, we'll work with sometimes five or six customer success managers whose focus is just driving stack adoption and their business goals for their clients because that helps them grow. So we're seeing the more folks put emphasis on customer success, the more their own businesses are growing as well. Yeah, it's plenty interesting in that one is I was just thinking about what an old school term account manager is. It's, it doesn't inspire excitement, does it? Um, but if you call fuzzies. No, no, no. It says it says you work for this business and I'm going to manage you. Yeah. And it also has the connotation of sales, whereas customer success says my job is to make you successful. Yeah. How can you make that happen? And and then if you within that role rather than going, you know, your your key metrics are simply revenue, stack adoption, you know, um, account retention, whatever, starts to be, no, it's all of those those customer health scores that we're engaged, that we have the CSAT, uh, not the only metric, but a metric that, you know, you've got those relationships. Yeah. Um, that's all all pretty important. I, I think too, within um, our business, we really try, you know, within our flywheel, it's, it's, it's just one of the key segments is just amazing customers with that great experience time and time again, because happy customers, um, whether it's in B2B or B2C, they they will refer more, stay longer, and see a, a greater value in what you do, and therefore be prepared to reflect that that belief in a in a higher price point potentially. Um, so I think universally, just having that constant focus on make decisions around the customer experience, profit will follow as a byproduct, but it's not the 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 straight up aim of each interaction. Um, I really like that that sort Absolutely. of reinforcing. Yeah. Um, so question though for you. So when you have an owner who's in an MSP that's scaling. And they have got that that reluctance to let go because I see that like you so often, but they have to. How can they find a balance between trusting, uh, you know, the new let's call them customer success manager rather than account manager to come in and and look after that relationship with someone they previously exclusively dealt with, um, while also retaining some level of oversight? Does it come back into simply the health metrics reporting? Is it also having some level of cadence where they themselves sit in on those QBRs, or how do you see that working? So I've seen it a few different ways. When I was a customer success manager, uh, we had red, yellow, green charts. So so I didn't have a platform at first. And every week I would run through on Mondays with the CEO 
here are my red accounts, here are my green accounts, here are my yellow accounts, right? So that they knew um, that started, and I tell it in the book, that started when I used to get calls at Friday night and I was trying to get my kids ready for football games and things from the owner who was, I was his first customer success manager. And he would call on Friday nights, how's this district, that district, right? Like I would get a list of how are all of these clients because he had no insight into it. So in a panic, he realized he left all of his babies with Marnie and he wasn't sure what she was doing with them. So yeah. I suddenly realized if I track this for him, he will be much calmer. And I didn't you know, blatantly turn them all green because I needed to advocate for my clients as well, right? And so I think first is to give visibility and transparency into what you're doing with them so that the CEO who's giving over a piece of the relationship has some insight into it. I absolutely think that um, the owner should sit in, attend, and participate in QBRs, especially at the beginning. So I've worked where sort of enterprise accounts, the, the CEO would always come as well and maybe even drive the business, you know, the, the business review. So if you think about segmenting your client base and you think about high touch, medium touch, tech touch, that high touch, the, the CEO always came to those parties, right? Those were very high value clients. Their MRR were huge. I had a $1.7 million a year client. Guess what? They could have anybody they wanted to at that party, right? <laughs> yeah. All of the sweet, sweet might join me for that one. Um, versus you know, then we would hand off when I became the director of CSMs, I would have a team of CSMs that would then manage their own QBRs for the, the medium, smaller clients, et cetera. But to build the trust, you really have to, to get success out of your clients and to hear those raving referrals, right? When, when you start bringing in referrals and upsells, et cetera, the success is obvious. So tracking not just the client health, but the positive outcomes for your business and their business show that right, this is the right human. They've got, you know, they're doing the right things for the client and just call the client, right? Hey, yeah. Brendan's our new CSM. How's he, you know, are you, are you feel like you're getting treated well? <laughs> you know, your CSAT scores look like this. What do you say? I was just thinking like your point before about customer success is everyone's responsibility. If the customer has a wider relationship with the business than just a CSM, Every interaction is a positive one. They see the end-to-end -end culture within the business aligned around their success as the customer. It probably makes that individual point of, of relationship much less of a risk from the owner's perspective, right? And the reverse is true as well. So to have more relationships with more than just one person at your client, right? Mm -hmm. So yep. if I've always said one of the things that we tracked was if you had a gatekeeper, so you've got a single project manager that won't let you talk to anybody else on the team. Everything goes through them. Um, you know, that that's a threat too, because it's a loss of communication. So you're right. The more everybody knows what's going on. Again, it's transparency everywhere and how and communication. In a shocking turn of events, communication is key to good customer success. Who I know. Knew? It's it's earth shattering. <laughs> so somebody put on on Facebook today a review of the book and said, I felt like a lot of this was common sense, but like branding, you need to hear it over again in different ways for it to sink in. To which I replied, and sometimes common sense ain't all that common. So. Well, that's A, that's true. B, one of the key um mantras uh for me in 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 management generally is repeat, repeat, repeat. Just when you're getting sick of saying it, people are saying to hear it. And that's, yep. you know, um, it, it just hasn't stopped being true in the time I've been doing this. So, but it, it, it touches on a nice, uh, it's a nice segue into my next question though, because, um, 
you you talked uh i think it's page 28 in fact i know it is because i wrote it here um that you need <laughs> yeah you need to scale past the the msp owner's gut feel uh and and automate um out a lot of the human element but not all in terms of reporting to the customers in terms of collecting that data and then you know yep. particularly i guess that, that this point particularly relates to the communication with the clients how do you find the right balance between automating the engagement and and not losing that 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 human touch human touch. Yeah. So one of the activities that we do in the book, I talk about segmentation and I meant it, I, you know, I said it earlier, but I should, I should talk about what that means instead of just uh, throwing it out there. Um, so to really look at I segmented by, let's take your MRR value. And then on a, so I'm talking X, Y axis again, here goes the math feature. I should have drugged my whiteboard over. Yeah. My math time. skills mean you're going to need to slow down. Not joking, but yeah, my, okay. I, am, I am just terrible. I, but Carol. I gotcha. I yeah. promise. <laughs> we'll get there. Nice and so, slow. <laughs> so think about plotting, think about plotting the MRR value of your client versus the effort vertically. Right. So we're, we're talking about high value, high effort clients and the cadence for meeting with them, right? Quarterly, maybe monthly. Um, let's think about your low value, low effort qu um, quadrant. Uh, and that's where we're talking much more automated. So you're kind of defining these cadence. And I mentioned high touch, medium touch, tech touch, and then people we need to work on all together. Once you've determined okay, I've segmented my client base. Let's take a look at who they are and what they have in common and then how often they need to meet. And they absolutely deserve some human engagement, but it might not be face-to-face. -face. My high-touch clients absolutely would get quarterly, face-to-face, pre-COVID, no question every time, right? Some of them could get quarterly, but maybe only one of them was face-to-face -face during the year and the others would be online. Mm -hmm. Mid-touch, maybe every six months, and then the the automated a yearly email or a yearly conversation. But to your point, what can you also automate? So in between, just because you're meeting with somebody every six months doesn't mean that's all they should hear from you, right? Mm -hmm. If you're not talking to your clients, somebody else is. But you don't have to schedule a meeting to still be communicating with them. So in the book, I talk about remarketing to your clients. And when I say that, a lot of people think, but they're already my clients. Why am I marketing to them? But you still need to message to them. Mm. So setting up a drip campaign in your CRM to talk about, hey, it's Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And these are the things we've done for you recently, right? Lucky for you, you have us. We've saved the day again. Or, you know, just some reminder of the work you're doing is important because you can automate some of the conversation around the value you're providing to them. But you can also drip campaign questions of, how are you, you know, is your business growing with X, Y, or Z new technology? Are you having this concern around cybersecurity? So all of those things are ways to communicate the same type of thing you talk about in a business review, but a reminder to them of why they've chosen to engage with you because you're educating them on these pieces beyond the face-to-face -face conversations. Yeah. Um, I had a really good point there. There's just immediately going out of my head because I started thinking about the uh, the Henry Ford quote that you had there. But the um, no, that was it. It's come back to me. Look at me go. Uh, marketing. When you talk about that drip feed campaign and having something, I mean, in our world, we we run with Salesforce. So we've got Pardot um, that, that interacts with that, right? So we yep. can set up that call cycle, that cadence, and and hopefully create content of value that actually educates and informs and uh, you know helps in some way, adds value. Um, how much does does your approach add? value to the marketing function side of MSPs? And do you think that's well understood? I don't think it's well understood. 
for sure. I mean, when we talk to MSPs and I ask them where their biggest struggles are, they'll say, well, sales and marketing <laughs> right, right out of the gate. Okay. So the notion of marketing to their own clients is probably not well understood either. But they do, when we talk about it, um, especially when I use the word remarketing and they're thinking, um, you know, creating top level leads. Uh, and, I, and I'm talking about, you know, working with your existing client base. We look at things like stack adoption. So when we look at the metrics around that, and I'll show them a red, yellow, green chart of, okay, when we look at your clients, 25% of them don't have, let's say, a VoIP solution. So we could remarket to them or have a conversation around VoIP, right? That, that would be an upsell opportunity for you. Or it is Cybersecurity Awareness Month. And let's see how many of your clients are using your cybersecurity stack. What can you remind them that you've done for them? So for sure, it's not something folks are naturally doing, um, but they're they're feeling more and more like if they're not doing, again, I said this before, if they're not communicating with your clients, their clients, someone else is. So there's interest in finding the right message to deliver to their clients. So any insights you have toward that is going to help drive their business and the relationship. So so much of what you're talking about here requires a really good understanding of, of your own business metrics. You know, what you're selling to who, um, you know, when they were last approached about this, you know, which segment they fall into uh, based on what you said earlier on. How much do you find yourself needing to, to work with these businesses to really just help them start to get the information together that can be the basis of what you're suggesting starts to, to fuel that customer success? So most folks tell us, especially when it comes to the stack adoption or stack alignment piece, most folks will say, ah, I've been trying to do that in a spreadsheet and my spend, I haven't updated my spreadsheet in six months. Gross. So um, very often that folks have the notion that this is important, they want to do it. Some of the larger ones have someone that can focus on it, but it's a lot of effort because it is so manual. And that's certainly something we're trying to help with. I, but I have a lot of conversations around that and people will come and say, I am interested in talking to you about how I can get better insights into who's using what of my stuff so I can uh, yeah, yeah. so I can help them better, you know, and more efficiently because you save a mince worth of time if you can look across all clients and see, well, I've got seven people I need to go talk to about backup disaster and recovery. Yeah, it's, it's always such a painful part that that manual uploading of data to kick off these projects, but without it, you can't get the value down the track and and the value can be game changing. So it's uh, it's like a necessary evil. <laughs> well, and it's interesting. I always talk about process maturity model, which is, you know, if you've got no process undefined and then it goes to manual, which is typically pencil paper and just or in the owner's head. Right. I always am keeping track of this, but it's not really documented. And then this is where MSPs strength become their weakness, because as soon as they get it to digital, they feel like they've gotten it. Oh, well, now it's it's automated. But that's not the case. A spreadsheet is merely a digital representation of what you just had on that piece of paper. But how can you automate it and pull feeds? And that's where you can get insights and transform your business. So there's there's the threat there that we're, we're dangerous enough with a spreadsheet that we think it's automated. And in fact, there's more power you can get with data. Do you see Power BI being like the new thing that everyone's lurching towards to, to start to you know be smarter with, with what they can gather? Well, I think anything with business intelligence, right? Yeah. So Power BI is certainly one of them. There are a lot of tools on the market that do that. I'll plan an Airtable myself for sure. Um, but any automation that delivers an insight rather than just um, manual entry and pull, the, yeah. you know, 
when you push and pull the exact same information, it's no different than just having a faster way to access a notebook. But when you can push information that turns into a red, yellow, green, that's where power is for sure. So something else in the book you talked about was that um, what I was going to get to before is about that uh, famous Henry Ford quote about, you know, if you ask people what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And I'd also say a horse that doesn't crap all over the road. But um, when when <laughs> you need to to define the problem the customer is looking to solve in order to add the value that's really on offer, how do you how do you see people best extracting that information? How do people really find the problem to solve for their customers? So it's interesting. Just uh, two weeks ago, we had a, a meeting. So we have a weekly meeting with our partners and we had a conversation with several of our partners about um, how they have conversations around goals and business goals and what questions are they asking instead of just showing up to a business review and saying, I'm here to talk about your asset inventory and your user inventory. Um, they were talking about the conversations they have to pull the business goals out of their clients. And some of the questions were things like, what are three things you wish technology could do for you, right? What are your business goals and what technology impacts it? What are trends in the industry? What is something your team's doing over and over again that maybe you didn't know you could automate, right? What are three wishes you had? Or, you know, what is your what is your level of um, anxiety around cybersecurity risk and threat, right? Do you, what's keeping you up at night? Any of those questions is a good starter. So I would think the key is to come up with some questions that get them thinking about their business, not about your business, right? So if you get them talking about their business, then that is why you are at the table. You're not, you're not talking to a dentist because you're an expert in dentistry. You're talking to a dentist because they're an expert in the problems around dentistry and you're an expert in the technology that might help solve those problems. So that's where you become that strategic consultant. So it's all about good questions. Mm, it really is. And they're really good examples. Um, slight aside, but I'm just realizing how much I need a haircut. <laughs> that's a thing. You know. Honestly, I'm listening, but I'm also that self-absorbed. Uh, that's okay. Um, okay, so now uh, I want to talk about the three Ps of customer success. Uh, we've got people, we've got process, we've got product. Um, let's talk about all of those uh, and why they matter. Sure. Um, well, the first, without people, the, the other two feel very automated, right? Robotic not very good, no warm fuzzies. So people can solve for everything, but they will tire quickly because they're the least scalable of that. So, um, you know, in the book, I have the, the, the Venn diagram of what happens if you don't have people, what happens if you don't have product, et cetera. Um, so without people, biggest nightmare. Um, so just diving because... in on that for a second, how hard is it in your market at the moment? Um, because obviously we're totally different countries. Are you also finding good people, extremely hard to find. And if you can find them, very expensive. So, so it's interesting. It is there, no question. There is a people shortage on the market today. Um, but we have found, uh, so we've done some clever marketing for our position and not running the traditional um, where all of the, the customer success manager um, position, you know, job postings look the same. So I'll tell this story and you can decide if you need to cut me out. <laughs> No, no. Oh, good. And, uh, uh, so we posted a, uh, we wanted a customer support position and we posted that and I got 63 mm, applications. None of them super impressed me and none of them followed up on what I put in the application. So I reposted for a GSD position. So that's a get 
stuff done okay. position. And uh, you really don't and, have to self censor. You, uh, you're able I, to use bad words. It's fine. <laughs> So it's funny because I don't really cuss. Huh. So it's always odd that I'm the one that came up with the GSE position. I like but it. There it is. Um, so so there we basically said um, we were much more comical about what we were aiming for. We said, OK, all you great resigners, why did you resign? Are you, um, you know, were you making money but not having any fun? Were you not getting appreciated? We'll take you to Disney World. Seriously, we will. We've got an event in Disney World. We'll take you with us. Cool. We'll give you the best job, um, just, you know, job title on LinkedIn with a, with a GSD position. And we sort of mocked the position. And I said, and if you want to find out if you're lucky enough to apply for, our, you know, to get an interview, then I need you to to send a video with the answers to these three questions. And the first two were what you would expect a customer support specialist to to answer. And the third was, is a hot dog a taco? And I have to say that we have hired both uh, a GSD specialist and an MSP growth specialist, which is our CSM. Um, based on, I could I could have narrowed it down if we're looking for a single metric on the response to the to the taco hot dog question. Just so you know, but it's more about their approach to it, and and they have come and said, both of them have said because we've hired them recently. Uh, we wanted to see what the culture of that company was like that would ask. And the top three questions I wanted to know is if I felt like a hot dog was a, was mm, a taco. That's a really um, thought provoking question. And, and the way they responded and the work they did for it got us good people. Um, there's way more to it than that, but I think being creative in your advertising right now for a position is important and get to like, everybody gets it. We're going to do work. And that's what we said in the application. We're not going to do terrible work. We're going to do, work and not all of it's great fun, but it's all of it's really important to make our customers happy. And if that sounds like work you want to do, come do it with us. Um, so I think really drilling into the motivator yeah. for customer success. No, you're um, just, uh, we're going a bit deep on the, the people here, but it's a really important part, like the most important part, because I, I fundamentally believe that everything good starts with the right people on the bus. But the um, had a conversation with um, Kat uh, from our team and she was just saying to us, uh, paraphrasing, but basically, if you want more women in tech, stop advertising like you've always advertised. If you've always advertised a certain way and got guys <laughs> replying on mass, stop doing that. Talk talk a different way. Market yourself differently. Try something different. It's yeah. like, oh yeah, it's a good idea. <laughs> Wish I thought of that, you know, several years ago. But <laughs> yep, but it's exactly what you have done, right? And it's it's getting creative and and targeting the types of people um, that that are going to be a good fit for the business um, culturally and otherwise. So yeah, love yeah. it. But okay, cool. And if they want to work for you, you can teach them the yes. skills. But to have the right culture, that's that's harder. To well, do. that's the other thing too. Is how many ads still say must have five years of industry experience? You know, like for a sales role, particularly or customer success. Like really, I, again, I totally. I don't tell anyone, but I don't have five years. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. yeah. I and look, most of my experience is uh, hasn't been great. So yeah, you don't want to base it on that. Um, okay, so let's go uh, <laughs> process. Let's talk process and product to finish off that uh, that segment. Yeah. Well, you know, without a process, things feel chaotic. Yep. For sure, right? So if you don't have a process, you you can't scale anything. You can't replicate it. I feel like it's the strength of managed service providers. Even if they don't have a product, they will follow a process for things. So without a process, chaos ensues. You won't be able to, you won't keep good people because they are constantly going to feel like bright, shiny object syndrome. They're not sure which way anything's coming because they don't have a process to follow. And then without a product, it's manual and takes more time. So without a, a, pro, a product, 
will just take the process and save time and money. So again, if I'm repeating the same thing over and over again, at some point I'm thinking, can't, can I get, click a button to make this happen? So a product, again, it helps with employee retention because they're not having to do tedious work over and over again. It's giving me faster insights into whatever it is I'm looking for. So that's kind of the key of those pieces. Right. And I think um, the, uh, what was the quote in the book that uh, anything you do more than once, essentially you need to automate. Uh, you should automate yeah, it. Yeah, which uh, definitely rings true. Um, the other one, around the product piece, um, how good are MSPs at actually um, defining what they do and putting a value-based price on it, you know, rather than sort of just clipping a ticket? Well, that is, um, that's, a, that's a switch that, that all of the sales coaches are trying to help them trigger is to how can, as a matter of fact, I had a former MSP who is now a coach say to me the other day, sell me a dollar bill. And, and I said, this dollar bill could represent the beach. And imagine yourself on the beach with a drink and the breeze thrown, blowing through your hair, et cetera. Because if you get enough of these, right, you can, you can be laying out on the beach. And he said, that's what a lot of people miss. Right. Some people will say, like, look at this nice, shiny, crisp piece of paper and they'll start talking features. Right. Or it will be, um, well, you can trade that for something. Um, but then if you can give them the outcome instead, the value prop at the end, that really drives the conversation. So um, that is, I think, what you're getting at is is we need to move the conversation from the flux capacitors and the Optiplex 750s or whatever gadgets it is we're selling, right? That, that MSPs like, that's why they got into the business and understand the value that it delivers, the outcome it's delivering. That's why I say talk business goals, right? That is, that is what you're aiming for. The products are just a way to support the business goals. Even if you really like the cool new <laughs> bells and whistles, it's about the value they're delivering. And that's it. If you can, if you can paint that picture, if you can create that narrative, it's much easier to put value-based pricing rather than cost plus and, and kind of differentiate yourself based on the deliverables at the other end of all of that shiny stuff, uh, which is, seems important. I uh, probably, what, what we'll finish on, if you like, is just, uh, we were talking about how Nigel Moore uh, from the tech tribe did your, uh, forward in your book. Um, and it's weird what, uh, you know, when you buy a new car and you see that car everywhere and it's just like, you hadn't noticed that car on the road previously. But I went to um, drop off a bottle of um, gin actually to one of our um, customers locally um, and uh, he was wearing a Tech Tribe hoodie. And I was like, again, I just, I'm starting to see that logo everywhere in the industry, which is just, it's like pervasive. Um, but sorry, how, how did you meet Nigel initially? Was it just like a professional engagement piece that you guys then started catch up a bit in the sidelines? Yeah. So we had, um, we heard of the Tech Tribe. This was three years ago. So they were relative, you know, they were a good bit younger then. Um, but we knew that we wanted to be educators in the space and the tech tribe we could see had that same community feel. So we decided to join the check, the tech tribe as a company and see, you know, what everybody was talking about and be a part of the conversation in doing that. My, one of my business partners who was an MSP, Alex, um, would, would engage a lot in the chat and Nigel would often reference and say like, oh, what Alex Farling said, et cetera. So we, you know, just set up a call and said, we'd love to chat with you about the tech tribe and how we could help. And he said, put in a tech tribe perk. So if you're a tech tribe member, by golly, go grab your, your tribal perk. Um, and so 
we just had some conversations. I invited him to do a webinar with us and he absolutely said yes. And, uh, and I found, I, I, I mentioned this to you before, and Nigel is a go-giver and he is one I can't keep up with. I feel like I can't be yeah. a good enough human to go give back to Nigel. So if you're watching this, Nigel, that's how I feel. Uh, hopefully <laughs> he is. He was insanely gracious about, um, writing the foreword for the book. Yeah, we got on a call and talked about the book, you know, so I could ask him. And uh, and he scanned the book in and re red penned it and then gave me a video of him talking through it because, you know, we're 12 hours apart. So I'm trying to sleep while he's getting all this work done. So he's an extremely uh, gracious person who's also doing great things for the community. He is. Um, you and I'm just trying to imagine you two having a conversation with two extremely high levels of energy coming at each other to create some sort of supernova of like tech energy. It's <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, because it's just a, it's it's great talking to both of you because there's no there's no dead air. It's awesome. Um, <laughs> well, we're both like water. We'll fill whatever size container we're given. I'm like. <laughs> love it hey um all right so if people want to find you to talk about lifecycle insights um to see what you can do to help automate some of their processes understand health metrics etc or they want to talk to you about the book and tell you how great it is how do they find you uh i'm easy to find info at lifecycleinsights.io is probably the easiest way to get me although i am marnie.stockman at lifecycleinsights.io but i'll check either of them or on linkedin right the beauty of being named marnie stockman is there's one there <laughs> so are not many there are not many which is uh makes it very easy that's uh, i believe how i found you Okay, Manny, thank you so much for coming on. It's been a great chat. I really appreciate it. Thank you for staying up late to make it happen. Oh, thank you for having me. This is great.